Support for Milledgeville Matters comes from Georgia College, Georgia's public liberal arts university, providing the experience students would expect from a private college with the affordability of a public university. For more information, gcsu.edu. Thank you for staying tuned to Milledgeville Matters and WRGC 88.3 FM. I'm your host, Daniel McDonald, and in this portion of our program, we'll be talking with Democratic nominee Floyd Griffin. Democratic nominee Floyd Griffin, a Milledgeville native, retired from the United States Army at the rank of colonel. Griffin is a two-term state senator and former mayor of Milledgeville. He also ran for lieutenant governor in 1998. Griffin holds an associate's degree from Gupton Jones College, a bachelor's degree from Tuskegee University, and a master's degree from the Florida Institute of Technology. He also is a graduate of the Army Command and General Staff College in the National War College. Mr. Griffin is a small business owner serving as CEO, President, Embalmer, and Funeral Director at Slater's Funeral Home. Mr. Floyd Griffin, welcome back to Milledgeville Matters. Glad to be back. And thank you very much for giving us your time today. My first question, I think it will be a simple one, but I was wondering if you could describe the work ethic necessary to be successful for your district under the Gold Dome. Well, as you know, uh, I've served in the legislature before uh, in, the, in the Senate, and, and I definitely had experience and background to, to be able to deal with that uh, question and the, and the issue. Well, it depends on uh, what time of uh, a year it is and what's going on. Uh, during the, the legislative session, which is uh, 40 session days, and that could end up being uh, anywhere from two and a half to three months, a little bit longer, depending on how many rest, recess you take. Uh, it's a very uh, grueling process, and especially the last about 10 days. So you have to be really, really de- dedicated uh, to stand up on top of, you know, what's going on in the legislature because there are a lot of bills that that uh, that's, that are introduced and. You have to try to get a, a general knowledge of all of those bills, especially when they come to, to the flow. You cannot become an expert on, on, on every bill. So you, you, you rely on, uh, on, uh, on lobbyists. You rely on, you rely on the, uh, uh, in this case, the House staff to try to keep you, you up to date. And uh, serving on different committees, those committees that you're serving on, you really need to stay on top of those uh, bills that that come to the to the committees. There are a lot of other things that go on uh, uh, at the during the session, uh, especially uh, with after hours type things that are receptions and and so forth. That's that's going on. Uh, once the session is over, things kind of calm down some. And uh, you're probably doing more cons- constituency service, uh, going to different uh, 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 events that you're in- invited to, and there are committee meetings that go on throughout the year, or the committees that you serve on, and uh, those are the kind of activities. So you have to be really uh, dedicated and spend the time that's that's necessary to will represent uh, uh, your district and the voters and the citizens in the district because, you know, everyone that uh, is a citizen is not a voter. Uh, 
but they're still a citizen in the district, and uh, you have to deal with uh, with their concerns and issues. Now, what will be your first priority upon election, and what is your plan to address that? Well, there are two or three uh, top priority issues, and I have uh, seven seven overall issues that I'm concerned with. Medicaid expansion now, which deals with uh, 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 our hospitals. Uh, under the Affordable Care Act, states were allocated millions of dollars to deal with the uninsured through what we call the Medicaid expansion. And each state had to request those funds. The governor had to request those funds out of the legislature. The governor kicked that over to to the legislature, and the legislature uh, really hadn't done anything with it, the Republican uh, legislature. So uh, we've had uh, five uh, rural hospitals to close since uh, 2013, and that had something to do with it. So I'm going to be working with the Democratic Caucus uh, uh, to sponsor a bill or support a a bill to require uh, the state to accept those dollars from uh, million of dollars from the from the federal government. Now we are paying for that already from our taxes. So what happens is those funds are going to another state. And we're sitting around here playing uh, uh, politics, and it's primarily because of the president. The reason we don't accept those because of the Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act. So that would be one of my major uh, uh, concerns uh, when I get there. Now, Mr. Griffin, of course, you are a former state senator who once ran for lieutenant governor. In those years in office, helped you form relationships with many of the men and women who are now among the leadership in the state legislature. Yet, your Democratic affiliation puts you in the minority party in the hyper-partisan Georgia General Assembly. How do you respond to criticism that those relationships alone are not enough to help you achieve your legislative agenda? Well, those people who's putting that out uh, hadn't been in the legislature other than uh, Representative uh, Rusty Kidd, and I know he's putting that out, but Rusty didn't get anything done when he when he was up there. Uh, uh, so uh, I think that's a misnomer. Uh, the Speaker of the House, the Lieutenant Governor, uh, and I served together in the Senate, and uh, so we, you know, I have those relationships. Plus. Uh, the, the Speaker of the House was uh, ran for uh, Attorney General at the same time I ran for Lieutenant Governor, and he lost also. And he left the Senate and came into the House when it was a Democratic House, and he ended up being uh, being uh, the Speaker of the House. I don't think that has a lot to do with it. If 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 we just want one party uh, with a hundred percent of the the legislators, then uh, we have a dictatorship or something of that nature. Now, uh, there were a number of bills that the Republican 
a caucus uh, tried to pass, and they could not pass those bills without Democratic support. And one of them was the transportation uh, bill that passed in uh, in 15. And uh, the Democratic caucus came together and helped support that. And that's why you we see down uh, North Columbia Street just uh, last week where there was some paving going on because that bill was passed. And there are several other bills. So you need to have some uh, bipartisanship. Now, I have an op-ed that's going to run in, the, uh, bar, at least in the Baldwin Bulletin uh, this week, uh, that's going to deal with uh, uh, bipartisanship to get things done. And a, I'm going to be going back to the legislature as a returning leg- legislator. I'm not going to be going as a freshman as if my uh, opponent would be, and he has to build uh, relationships and do all those kinds of things. Now, I've been there, and I know what it's like for a freshman to come in, and just because you belong to that party doesn't mean that they're going to come in and you're going to have a carte blanche and get everything that you want. So uh, I don't I don't see that as a major problem at all. Mm. We're going to take a short break right now, but if you're just joining us, this is our candidate interview with the Democratic nominee for the State House 145th District race. I'm talking in the studio with Mr. Floyd Griffin. So stay tuned for more Milledgeville Matters. Thank you for staying tuned to Milledgeville Matters on WRGC 88.3 FM. Today, we're conducting our interviews with the two candidates for the State House District 145 race. That includes portions of Putnam County and all of Baldwin County. In this segment, we're talking with the Democratic nominee, Mr. Floyd Griffin. So let's return to our interview. Now, as a legislator, part of your job includes fighting for your constituents' priorities under the Gold Dome, but also communicating the issues and conversations about the issues back to the people at home. And I want to ask for a preview of that aspect of your service. Can you explain the Opportunity School Zone ballot referendum to our audience and then give your take on this ballot referendum that they'll be seeing at the same time they'll be voting on the 145th district race? You're talking about the Opportunity School uh, District? Yes, sir. Well, first of all, uh, I'm asking everyone to vote no mm-hmm. for a number of reasons. But and before before we ask about that, right. though, can you tell our audience members what it is? What What okay. is it that they're asking them to vote on? Because there's a lot of okay. concern about that, and there's you even lawsuits now about the language that they'll be seeing on the ballot referendum. Yeah, the language, uh, I, 
I can't cite the language unless I had it in front of me and it wouldn't make any sense anyway. If this pass a failing schools that meet the requirements of failing schools and see, and that's something else that has not been defined by the governor and the, 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 the school board, of, uh, the uh, school, uh, uh, education, what is a failing school? But let's assume that there's a failing school. Uh, the governor may uh, take, I think, about 20 schools a, a year and put into that category. But the governor will appoint a state uh, a superintendent of the Opportunity School District. And that person only report to the governor. And at the local level, that person takes total control of that school. Uh, the local board of education does not have anything to say or do, et cetera, other than provide the resources, the funds. So we will still be paying for that uh, opportunity school, but will not have any control over what is happening. Now, the Republican Party talks about uh, local control. They, you know, they should be local controlled. Uh, keep the uh, state and the federal government out of a lot of things. But this is taking over local control. So it's not good for uh, our district, not good for our uh, community. And uh, I do not support it. And I'm out working very hard to ask uh, our citizens in the 145th to vote no. See, one thing about, about uh, legislation, and especially uh, those amendment-type legislations, they write those things where nobody can understand to try to get them to vote yes. I think it, it, that whole system needs to change. Now... Governor Nathan Deal vetoed a bill that would have allowed permitted gun owners the ability to carry concealed firearms onto college campuses. Yet, some lawmakers, including the bill's sponsor, Rick Jaspersi of Jasper, have expressed disappointment in that veto and said it does not mean the end of efforts to allow firearms on campus. What is your stance on this issue, and how would you vote if the legislation were before the state house today. Okay, uh, let me give some credibility to my answer. Uh, I have uh, taught on the faculty at Wake Forest University, Winston-Salem State University, uh, University of Chicago when I was in Germany, and taught a couple of courses here at Georgia College and State University. I ser I've served on the board of trustees at uh, here at Georgia College and at GMC and my alma mater a Tuskegee University presently doing that. Uh, now, as a former professor, I would not want students in my classroom carrying weapons. Uh, I have talked with uh, students here at Georgia College. I brought this subject up with uh, the president here and at GMC and other uh, uh, around uh, the state even before I decided to run for this position. When I was in it, uh, Atlanta, which I make one or two trips up there a year to the legislative session, I went to 
a couple of meetings where uh, there were groups that was uh, against this. So my bottom line is that if it was before uh, the legislature today and even tomorrow and when I get up there and I expect it to come up again, I would vote no. Last month, Governor Deal proposed a major law enforcement reform package that includes roughly $79 million in raises for state law enforcement officers and increasing training requirements for both state and local law enforcement officers on the use of force, effective policing, and building positive community relations. Do you think Governor Deal's proposal goes far enough to meet the needs of law enforcement and to begin to address the rift between some agencies in the communities they're sworn to protect? Well, I have not uh, seen his uh, full uh, statement, uh, but I think it's a start. It's a good start because uh, we need to increase the training of our law enforcement uh, throughout, not, uh, not throughout, not only here in Georgia, but throughout the nation because you know, we've seen what's going on here in the last uh, a year or so from the standpoint of uh, uh, our law enforcement and uh, some of the issues. So training is extremely important. And plus, uh, we need to pay those individuals uh, uh, a decent salary, and I'm not sure what that should be. That's what uh, the leaders in that field should uh, determine, but we need to keep the good people on and where they'll be able to use their experience and train the, 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 uh, the younger people that's coming up. So yes, I agree with what, uh, what he's done there. And, and I'm quite sure that there needs to be, uh, uh some additional, uh, resources and, uh, emphasis placed on that. Just to follow up, one of the criticisms is that, uh, as far as the raises are concerned, that this is just for state law enforcement agencies. Are you concerned at all that that might cause a further issue with local law enforcement officers leaving their um, local agencies to move to the state where they'll be better compensated? Well, that's a, a very good point, and, uh, and there's a good possibility that, that that could happen. But, you know, only so many... Uh, they can only only have so many vacant positions, so I don't know if that would be a major impact. But we need to find ways in our local communities, uh, the city and the county, to uh, provide additional resources uh, financially and otherwise to uh, to our law enforcement uh, at this level. Uh, obviously, uh, the state, I won't say they cannot provide those resources. Uh, but it would have to go through uh, appropriations and et cetera. And once you get that started, you know, you have to continue. You just can't make it a one-time raise and and don't continue to make uh, the appropriation every year. We're going to take a short break right now. But if you're just joining us, this is our candidate interview with the Democratic nominee for the State House 145th District race. I'm talking in the studio with Mr. Floyd Griffin. So stay tuned for more Milledgeville Matters.
Thank you for staying tuned to Millageville Matters on WRGC 88.3 FM. Today, we're conducting our interviews with the two candidates for the State House District 145 race. That includes portions of Putnam County and all of Baldwin County. In this segment, we're talking with the Democratic nominee, Mr. Floyd Griffin. So let's return to our interview. Can you describe your position on the expansion of access to medical marijuana in Georgia? I really don't, at this time, I really don't have uh, an opinion on that. Uh, but what I would like to, what if it becomes uh, an issue or if a piece of legislation come up, which I'm quite sure will because, uh, you know, it has been out there, uh, I will take a, a very, very close look at that and a serious look. But uh, I think that if uh, medical, and you did say medical with marijuana. Yes, sir. Yeah, if, if it's used appropriately and uh, regulated, uh, I would be leaning toward uh, supporting that. But I don't want to categorically come out now and say, yes, I will, because you always have to. You always have to look at the legislation and, and, and look at the fine print in that legislation. In your earlier interview before the Democratic primary, you said you would make every effort to find funds to assist the state's health care system and especially those hospitals in rural areas. Earlier in this interview, um, you, of course, said that one of your top priorities would be working to get the state to expand Medicaid by accepting funds under the Affordable Care Act. Now, that obviously has been something that uh, the Republican-controlled Republican state government has not wanted to do at many different levels. And so assuming that they hold fast to that belief that they don't want to accept those funds, and also you know, knowing that at this time in October of uh, 2016, we don't have any additional proposed mechanisms such as funding through increased legalization of gambling in the state of Georgia— how else would you go about trying to maintain Georgians' access um, to health care in rural areas? And, and can you provide any specifics at this time? That's a heavy question. And i just be right up front and honest with you. I don't know where those resources would come from because, you know, your, your, your local hospitals are generally, you know, they are locally uh, owned and controlled either by the local government or they are, uh, you know, private uh, to some degree, and the, about the only way you can get the resources is uh, uh, increase uh, our local taxes. And uh, I'm not sure if that's uh, if that's that's the best way to go. So I don't I don't have a solution to that other than through the medica uh, the Medicaid expansion. Now I'm getting the word that there. Uh, possibly will be uh, some negotiations uh, in this next session to uh, uh, to accept those funds because, uh, you know, the Republicans can't continue to accept the fact that our rural hospitals are closing and we have uh, citizens who are not getting the health care they need because we are turning down funds that are available. So I think and I hope and I will work to make sure that that becomes a reality uh, in the next legislative session. 
There have been, um, as you said, there have been several other proposals, uh, not very detailed at all, um, about you know either finding ways of nibbling around the corners at accepting federal funds or um, other means of trying to generate funds. Uh, do you have any opinion on any of those? I think that there are at least four out there right now. Well, I don't know what they are, <laughs> what those four you're talking about, so I can't, I can't respond to that. And uh, but once again, the the quickest way. To get this done is uh, in January, we make that a, a priority, go on and pass that legislation where we can get the funds out to uh, save our, our hospitals and to provide uh, quality health care to those individuals that can't afford it. And this is just about my final question, but I was wondering if you could give us a dispatch from the campaign trail and some of the conversations that you're having out there with people. Can you tell me about a conversation you've had with a person that you've met while out there campaigning and how that conversation is going to impact what you'll do up in Atlanta? Well, I, I, one of those uh, conversations, which I had a number of conversations, but where most of the conversation is surrounding the, uh, the hospitals here and uh, here in Putnam County and what can be done to try to try to save those hospitals. Uh, I know that there was one person over in Putnam County who indicated that, uh, you know, her daughter was going to have a, a baby and, uh, you know, she didn't want her baby to go to Putnam County uh, uh, here in Milledgeville. She was going to take her, uh, her daughter all the way to, to Macon if possible. So the, the hospital and Medicare uh, for uh, I needed people is is a top priority, and that's where we are getting most of the the conversations from. And now, this is something I usually do when I'm asking you for a quote for some story that I'm doing. But I thought in this uh, context, it would be good to allow you to kind of um, identify some of the issues that are important to you. Now, what did I not ask you today in this interview that you wish I had? <laughs> well. Minimum wage, uh, I think that uh, we should uh, increase uh, the, the minimum wage, and that will be one of my, my top priorities, and probably we'll introduce legislation to do that, and especially the Georgia minimum wage, and try to get it up to about uh, $12 over a, you know, over a period of time. I think any, anyone in the United States of America should be able to make a living wage, Okay. Another one that's uh, important, uh, some of the women's rights. Uh, uh, I think a woman should be paid equal to her male counterpart uh, uh, for the work that, uh, that she uh, does or they do. Uh, I think that uh, we should stay out of the, uh, uh, the reproduction uh, rights uh, a, a women, the Democratic Party's uh, bedstone is to to support that, and and I will. So those are several of the areas that is is part of my uh, my initiative and my platform. And if I may again reiterate to uh, to the listening audience, go on my website floydgriffin.com. It's a good website and read about my issues and so forth. And I also ask you to compare my uh, website with my, uh, with my uh, opponent. 
because that is one way you can find out who is best qualified to go uh, to uh, Atlanta and, and represent the 145th. And we have a few minutes remaining. I just cede this to you to make that final um, you know, pitch to our radio audience. Well, I like for you all to take a holistic look at me and my opponent. Uh, as was stated in the introduction, uh, I have several degrees. My opponent does not have a degree. Uh, I have served my country at the national level uh, in the military. I have served my state uh, uh, as a uh, state senator. I have served my, uh, my community as a mayor. Uh, I have the experience, the background, understand the Georgia politics. I understand how to get things done. Experience matter. My opponent talks about effectiveness, and I assume he's talking about it from the standpoint of being a politician. But he hasn't been to the legislature, so how can he talk about effective if he has never been there? I've been there. I've done that. I made things happen, and I will continue to do that. So I'm asking the, the citizens here to and voters to uh, send a person back to the legislature who knows what's going on. I won't be going back as a freshman, as he and others are saying. I would be going back as a returning legislature, and I have the support already of uh, a number of my colleagues, uh, especially the Democratic uh, uh, House Caucus, they are waiting for me to come back. Matter of fact, they asked me to to run, so uh, that's why I'm here. So thank you very much for this uh, opportunity, and we look forward to uh, uh, November the eighth. Well, Mr. Floyd Griffin, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to our audience here on Milledgeville Matters. Thank you very much, sir.